everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 28. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on October 28, 2018. First off, I have a personal update. On Tuesday of next week, I'm headed to the United Nations in New York City. I've been invited to talk about the digitization of biology at a side meeting of the UN Security Council on Resolution 1540. My colleagues and I published a paper on this topic. I'll include the link in the show notes if you're interested in reading it. This is a particularly exciting opportunity for me uh, to come full circle. I began my career in WMD working as a junior political officer at the United Nations in New York, where it was part of my job to track developments in the Security Council on various WMD resolutions, including 1540. So I'm very honored to be invited to speak, and I'll fill you in uh, next week. All right, let's talk tech. A few headlines caught my attention this week. First headline, designer babies aren't futuristic. They are ready here. Published in MIT's Technology Review on October 22. Many of you know that I'm working on my third novel in the Laura Kingsley series called Genomic Data. One of the themes I'll be addressing in my novel is that of designer babies and related issues. You might have also watched the movie Gattaca in the 1990s, which is a story about a naturally born man trying to navigate a world full of fully grown designer babies who are not only viewed to have all of the genetic advantages, they are also given preference over naturally born humans in terms of jobs, education, opportunities, etc. Well, that future is here. Our knowledge of the human genome, vast repositories of genomic data, combined with the well-established procedures of in vitro fertilization, means that we are on the cusp of allowing parents to potentially customize their children. Parents are already selecting embryos for health purposes, in some cases, for health um, conditions that uh, people can survive and have a fully normal life. So we're already in some gray area. Um, The only thing that's stopping us at this time from picking traits is obviously knowledge of the gene sequences and how they uh, code for different functions, how they're expressed in in humans, etc. But that we will overcome in time. But, But really the thing that's stopping us from going in this direction is public opinion. Uh, The article says, in general, Americans approve of using reproductive genetic tests to prevent fatal childhood disease, but do not approve of using the same test to identify or select for traits like intelligence or strength. One of the major issues is that IVF and genetic screening are very expensive. Um, Generally, one one section runs $15,000-$20,000. That means that only the wealthy population can afford giving their children genetic advantages from the start. This is something that I think we will be talking about in uh, the near term. My second headline, MicroLight 3D offers a new kind of microscale 3D printing, published on October 18 at 3dprint.com. One feature of advanced advanced technology that I find fascinating and scary 
is our ability to study and manipulate matter at smaller and smaller scales invisible to the human eye. So this company called MicroLight 3D is capable of producing parts at the micro scale. That's a hundred times smaller than a strand of human hair. These microscopic parts have a wide variety of applications, including micro optics, microfluidics, micro robotics, metamaterials, and cell biology. So a lot of very, very small stuff. Um, Speaking of micro-robotics, my next headline involves a tiny drone system called the Black Hornet Vehicle Reconnaissance System. So the headline is, Fleur Nano Drone Creates Creating Buzz for the Military, published on DroneLife.com on October 22. This system is designed to be integrated and launched from a robust vehicle. This can be a military vehicle, can be law enforcement, first responder vehicle. These drones are tiny. One of the smallest in the world so far about the length of a pen. It flies with a single rotor, not like the quadcopter or even the octocopters that you see already. It can fly up to 25 minutes in close quarters and up to a mile at 25 miles per hour. It is virtually undetectable from 15 feet away. And if you imagine a drone as small as the length of a pen, it would be tough to see and hear as well. So these drones provide live video feed to the operator on a chest-mounted display. The total system of two drones, a controller, and video screen weighs less than three pounds. The company describes the mission of these tiny drones as situational awareness, threat detection, and surveillance. And I'm sure you can imagine how this would be extremely useful for the military, but also law enforcement and first responders. The drones are coming, folks. Um, Our world is about to change in significant ways when it comes to drones. These um, robotics can be used for so many wonderful things, um, including law enforcement, including humanitarian purposes, uh, construction, um, all sorts of applications. But it's also very enabling technology for individuals. And so it is of concern. My third headline, continuing the theme of very, very small stuff, uh, mystery of how black widow spiders create steel strength silk webs further unraveled. This was published on October 22 in silencedaily.com. So this is a popular topic, uh, spider silk. Um, I'm fascinated by this topic. Um, I've covered it in Project Gecko, my second novel, um, very, very briefly in that novel. So... Um, In this particular article, scientists have been trying to synthesize spider silk and produce it on a mass scale for decades, Um, but they were able to use instruments to see at a very, very small scale what goes on inside of a black widow spider to produce this steel strength spider silk. Scientists think they now have a new model to produce synthetic materials. If they are able to replicate the natural process to produce artificial fibers at scale, this would be transformative. Think body armor. Think any situation where you need something, a material that's super strong but super light um, and agile, um, that is where this will um, play a major role. Okay, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, Lara went to Maggie's apartment in a panic after being bitten by a swarm of Bionic Bugs. She was terrified of being infected with the plague. Luckily, Maggie has supplies on hand to test the saliva of the beetle for the bacteria. What were the test results? Let's find out. Chapter 28, Biological Attack. 
Lara thought she could see a tinge of blue appear and began biting the ends of her nails. After about five minutes, the blue color saturated the dipstick, making the finding undeniable. The blood drained from her face. The diagnosis brought attention to her wounds, and they throbbed and stung even worse than before. Maggie frowned. The bad news is you're probably infected with the plague. The good news is that it's treatable, and I happen to have an emergency stash of streptomycin on hand. Let's get you started on that right away. Maggie walked into her bathroom, and a few seconds later came out with a prescription bottle. Here, take one of these every day for the next seven days. If you show any symptoms, we'll get you to the hospital right away, but I doubt it will come to that. Thanks, Maggie. I don't know what I would do without you. Lara threw her head back and swallowed the first dose. Detective Sanchez pointed to his smartphone. Maggie, we should probably get Special Agent Martin out here and brief him on what's happened. I believe we've got a credible threat on our hands and the feds need to be involved. Is that okay? She nodded. Sanchez and Rob are sure becoming a first-rate team. Sinking into a leather chair in Maggie's living room, Lara sipped the last drop of her tea. She felt completely normal about seeing Rob again and smiled, pleased at the realization. At least something good has come of all of this. In the kitchen, Detective Sanchez pulled out his work tablet. Maggie disappeared into her bedroom to get dressed into something proper. On the bookshelf in the far corner, the framed photo of Maggie with the Christmas beetle caught Lara's attention again. Maggie, how come you never told me you had a picture of yourself with a Christmas beetle? Lara projected her voice toward the bedroom. Maggie stepped out of her bedroom as she wound her auburn hair up in a bun. Lara raised her eyebrows and gestured at the picture. Maggie walked over to the bookshelf and shrugged. What do you mean? Maggie asked as she slipped a sweater over her camisole. I'm an Australian bug scientist. It would be weird if I didn't have a picture of one. They're quite common. As a child, I loved seeing these beetles and considered it to be good luck if I spotted one. She paused and then took a deep step backward. One hand to her chest and her eyes widened. Surely you don't think I had anything to do with this. I'm not sure what to think anymore. Lara felt so grim, so unsure about everything. Hey now, Maggie frowned. What do you mean? You know me, Lara. Lara avoided her gaze and pulled her keys out of her pocket. She held up Sully's Yoda figurine keychain. I found this in your kitchen drawer a few days ago. Maggie's face screwed up in confusion. What is it? It's a key. What does it look like? It belonged to Sully. Don't you recognize it? Maggie shook her head. I've never seen it before. You found it in my kitchen drawer? Yeah. Any idea how it got there? Maggie thought for a few minutes, staring at the ceiling with her hands on her hips. Then realization came to her eyes. Sully must have put it there when he spent the night, she whispered. Her face flushed a rosy pink and she glanced nervously at Sanchez. So Sully was here? But when? Lara whispered, so as not to alert Sanchez to the conversation. Maggie wasn't one to limit herself in romantic exploration, but she also wasn't tacky enough to talk about it in front of someone she was sleeping with. It was the night of the party, late. He called and then came over to apologize for leaving so abruptly, Maggie said, her voice low as her eyes darted from Lara to Sanchez. Lara handed the keychain to Maggie. And you're sure you don't recognize this key or know what it might go to? Maggie shook her head. Why did you hide it here, Sully? Did you know I would find it? She wished she, he was still here to answer her questions. Mention of the party at Wicked Bloom brought bittersweet memories. Not wanting to dwell on them, she leaned toward Maggie with a smirk on her face. 
So, you and Sanchez? Lara whispered, pointing to the detective in the kitchen and smiling. Maggie rolled her eyes. Um, I can hear you from over here, Miss Kingsley. Detective Sanchez looked up from the table and glowered at Lara. Maggie's face went pale, and she made a did-he-hear-me face. Lara shook her head suddenly and walked into the kitchen. Now that I've seen you half-dressed, I think you can call me Lara. She grinned at him from ear to ear and picked up the kettle to pour another cup of tea. Not if I can help it, Miss Kingsley. The doorbell rang and Lara set the kettle back down. That must be Rob. I'll get it, Lara said as she walked over and opened the door. Rob, dressed in his favorite ripped jeans and a plaid shirt, stepped in, looking handsome as ever. Hey, Lara, I hear you got yourself poisoned with some beetle juice. His light brown eyes twinkled at her. He's having too much fun with this. Lara glared at him and left him standing in the open door. Rob reached out and grabbed her arm, pulling her close to him. She could smell his cologne and her heart fluttered. Serious though, Seriously, though, are you okay? When Sanchez said plague, well, I... Rob made eye contact, his gaze one of concern and care. It sent a pleasant shiver down her spine, but stung at the same time. Maybe I'm not quite over him after all. She stepped away, pulling her arm free of his gentle grasp. I'm fine. The beetle tested positive for the plague. Maggie gave me a round of antibiotics. She shrugged it off as if it were no big deal. Good. He paused, his eyes lingering on her face. Hey, Sanchez, thanks for giving me a call. He walked over and took a seat next to the detective at the island in the kitchen. It's really your case at this point, Sanchez said stiffly, but I thought we should put our heads together before things get out of hand. Rob slapped the detective's back lightly and nodded. It's a great timing. I wanted to fill you in on what FBI evidence response team uncovered at Beautific Creations, besides the video footage. What else did they find? Lara asked, hopeful that she was about to get some answers. By the time we arrived to talk to Linda, the warehouse had been mostly cleaned out. Files were shredded and all the indoor surveillance videos were destroyed. They even wiped down the whole place to remove print evidence. Linda and her accomplice were obviously trying to make a clean getaway when we arrived. The money laundering unit is taking a look at the case. They think the beatific creations operation was cleaning money from illegal activities, but... But? Lara asked, sitting on the edge of her seat. But... Rob said, smirking. The detective nodded at him as if he were in on the joke. But what? Lara asked. She left a cigarette butt behind. Rob grinned and then smacked his leg while laughing. Lara rolled her eyes. Nice. Not funny. At all. Rob grimaced. Anyway, the forensic scientists matched the DNA profile from the warehouse to Marcia Husney. The woman who messed with my bike? Lara asked. So, Marcia Husney must be Linda Maxwell's alias, Sanchez concluded. At least we, we know who she is now, Rob nodded. That's not all. We also matched some prints and DNA trace evidence to Anita Fiddler. Her data was in the system from the NSA investigation several months ago. Anita? Lara gaped. But, see, told ya, Sanchez said, not hiding his triumph. We'll pick her up and have a nice long chat. Lara glowered at the detective. Sanchez told me you've had quite the day, Rob said, turning to Lara. Are you going to fill me in? Lara remained silent for a moment, bothered by the finding and the detective's arrogant attitude. Then she walked over to the stove and poured herself another cup of tea. Rob followed her into the kitchen and waited for her to speak. Lara told him everything that had happened earlier that day, with the stakeout, the visit to Anita's practice, and the beetle swarm. He was particularly perplexed about the discovery of her baseball glove. 
It's do, it seems we do have a credible threat here, Rob, Rob rubbed his forehead. Fiddler appears to be planning a biological attack. The problem is we don't have a lot of information to go on, at least not enough to alert the public health authorities and organize an effective response. Do you think Fiddler's acting alone? Lara asked, leaning against the kitchen sink and holding the warm mug in her hands. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure how much Ashton was in on it, Rob said. We didn't have enough evidence to charge him, so the kid is back on the street now. Damn it, Rob! I told you to let me keep talking with him, Lara said. He didn't say anything else after I left? Rob shook his head. I tried to get the district attorney to offer him a deal in exchange for information that could help us, but she doesn't want to budge from possible murder charges at this point. Even though you can't make the charges stick? Lara asked. Rob nodded. I planned to put a tail on him, but then he disappeared. Fiddler's daughter, Anita, has also fled, Sanchez said. Com Coincidence? I'd say not. Maybe they're both in on it with Linda. Lara lifted an eyebrow. I don't think Anita is involved in this. Her father must have told her to get out of town for some reason. How can you be so sure? Sanchez creased his forehead. Lara shrugged. I don't know. It's a gut feeling. Well, I prefer to build my cases on fact. The detective placed a fist on the counter and nodded his head once. If you want to keep doing detective work, you really need to avoid blind spots for certain suspects. As far as I'm concerned, Anita is still in play. You could put an APB out and at least get a search started, Rob suggested. My thoughts exactly. Already on it. Sanchez pointed at his tablet and gave Lara a teasing smirk. Gah, he is so annoying. Good. If we can find her, maybe she can answer some questions for us. Rob began pacing the room. What do we know about Fiddler's plan? Lara put her hands on her hips. Well, he's developed the ultimate delivery system for spreading the plague. Her thoughts drifted to the Bible verse from the Basilica. The beetles are quite beautiful. I mean, if you like bugs. And most people are not afraid of them because beetles are not known to bite or carry disease, Maggie said. And he's already testing swarming techniques, Sanchez added, pointing at Lara. These metallic golden beetles would catch people off guard. They could swarm and bite a number of times before people could take cover or shoo them away, Lara said. She balled her fists as she resisted the urge to scratch. Untreated plague can lead to serious casualties, Maggie said. If the infection gets into the lungs, the disease becomes contagious and can spread on its own from person to person. Any idea on possible targets, Rob asked? Well, we found two maps of the violin shop, Lara said. Fiddler appears to be targeting two government installations. Usamron at Fort Dietrich, where he worked, and Fort Meade, home to the NSA. Sanchez grunted. I don't understand why the guy would change his name to Fiddler and then go work for the organization responsible for his mother's death, the detective said. It makes no sense. Another mystery, Rob frowned. What about his motive for targeting the NSA, Sanchez asked. His son-in-law worked for the NSA before his untimely death, Lara said. Fiddler thinks Cybershop works there, and we know he suspects Cybershop of killing his son-in-law Frank and his grandson. He's probably also furious with the NSA for framing Frank and later Anita for the leak. I think it's a pretty good motive. Hmm, Rob sighed heavily. We need more information. Lara crossed her arms and turned to Rob. I think Ashton knows a lot more than he's letting on. You should press the DA for a deal. Maybe he'll come out of the woodwork if he thinks he's safe. We need a location on Fiddler, Rob let out an impatient huff. Has Vic figured anything out yet? Lara shook her head. She hadn't heard from Vic all day. We should pay the library visit, Sanchez said, looking at his watch. It's already closed, Lara said, pressing her lips together. 
Did you ever look into how Fiddler got his hands on an Australian Christmas beetle? Maggie asked. He must have traveled to Oz. If he has a passport, he would have provided an address on the application form. Good thinking. Let me make a call to my friend at the State Department. Rob took out his phone and walked over to the other side of the room. Her pocket buzzed. She pulled out her smartphone. The text from an unknown caller read, Don't interfere with my plans again. If you do, someone you care about will die. Trembling, Lara accidentally dropped the phone on the floor. Are you okay? Maggie asked. Fiddler knows. What does he know? He knows we're all here. He knows we're trying to stop him. How? Maggie whipped her head back and forth, scanning her apartment. Out of the corner of her eye, Lara glimpsed something glimmer from above. Up there, on your curtain. She pointed to the curtain around the sliding door. A golden beetle perched on the curtain rod and watched them. It's transmitting a recording of our conversation to Fiddler, isn't it? Sanchez said, his voice low. He's outside somewhere, controlling it. Maggie grabbed a fly swatter and ran over to the curtain. With one strong swat, the beetle fell to the floor. She stepped on it with her foot, making sure to crush its body underneath her weight. When she lifted her foot, the beetle was dead. Maggie picked it up with her fingers, walked into the kitchen, put the beetle in a plastic bag, and tossed it in her freezer. I can't believe you just did that. Lara's mouth hung open. What? Maggie exclaimed. You love bugs. Not bugs that spy on us and try to kill my mates. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.